0: Fox Business Network. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report.
1: A nice evening with some clouds coming in, but it stays dry. It's chilly temperatures dropping off tonight again into the lower top of 40s. In the afternoon tomorrow, cloudy gray looking raw and chilly. The highs only in the 50s. Could even be breezy at times. Any chance of showers slim and mostly to our south. Going to be under clouds tomorrow night, partly cloudy to cloudy Saturday with a high of 60-ish. Thunderstorms showers in your forecast for Sunday and Monday. Some of those could get severe with highs of 70s. Lollipop Ranch Christian Preschool and Daycare, Slidell, featuring the full A. Becca curriculum, now accepting ages eight weeks to three years old. They're members of the American Association of Christian Schools. Their small size provides a small, safe, healthy, loving Christian family-style environment. They're fully state-licensed and inspected and insured. Register your child today, 985 641 3785 or click Lolly Popranch Ralph Sanji, WGSO.
2: Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques A. with Audubon, Louisiana.
3: And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. I am not late again, just to be clear.
2: Well, I was just going to say another Thursday and another day of Simone (laughs) not being in the studio.
3: I know, I know. So, you know, last week we didn't get to discuss this, but I met our second fan that we've ever had. Um, It was a really remarkable day. We have fans? I know, I know, met him down in fictional independent not related to either me or you and then today somebody said, "Oh yeah, you got caught up in that traffic last week in New Orleans," huh? And I was like, "Oh my gosh, you listened. Yes, I was. I was late for my own show. But today, unfortunately, I am stuck in the capital city.
2: Well, I know. And you I mean, you have a good excuse. So we'll forgive you this time. And I have a great yes. guest in studio. So, uh, you know, yes,
3: I'm sorry to miss him. Well,
2: and it's been a busy week for the coast, right? Um, and we're going to get to that talk to one of the newsmakers uh, himself today. But tell us a little bit about some of the meetings that have been going on and what you've been up to so far this week, Simone.
3: Sure. It has been non-stop this week. We had um, the CPRA's financing corporation meeting, and that's uh, an authority that was set up by the Louisiana legislature to sell um, bonds if necessary related to Gomesa um, and now Restore and NERDA, similar to like the tobacco settlement. So that's just Uh, a financing authority you know we do a lot of uh, work on how to fund the work for the coast and then we had CPRA meeting yesterday where they announced state match programs and also had a good informational session on um, some contracting some innovative contracting means that the state wants to to take part in I've totally missed Justin's uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony I'm sure he's going to talk about his wonderful new building on the water campus but it has just been non-stop this week, and that's good. That's good news for our coast.
2: Yeah, and I've seen, um, you know, CPRA releasing news about their um, annual plan and highlighting some of the projects that are in there. So we'll definitely have to dig into that um, in an upcoming yeah, episode. Yeah.
3: For sure, for sure. How about you, Jacques? What have you been up to this week?
2: <laughs> well, uh, I was out in the field again visiting oh, our Paula J. Rainey nice. Wildlife Sanctuary. Nice.
3: Shock out in the field, <laughs> big shock
2: there. Yeah, we were doing some uh, great filming. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, and an, uh, the Christmas bird count with Katie Percy yeah, later in the awesome. show. So, um, it cool. was a great I a great time out there. About that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have to let you go. Is that right? Or you? Can you stick around? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. I'm
3: sorry, I have to go. But uh, I wish Justin my best. He's so so great for our coach and and leading the Water Institute, so I'm sorry that I can't see him in person, but I know that I leave my favorite Giacomo in trusted hands.
2: Well, thanks, Simone. And you know, it'll just have to be an excuse. We'll have to ask Justin back again when you're in yeah, the studio definitely. and we can have a real uh you know full show. So thanks and uh good luck with everything tonight. Um bye. I'm excited. Bye, guys. bye. I'm excited to uh introduce our next guest. We're so honored to have him here. Um, Justin Aaronworth, president and CEO of the Water Institute of the Gulf, a post he's been in since early 2017. Prior, he served as the inaugural executive director of the Gulf Coast Ecosystem Restoration Council or Restore Council. Um, under his leadership, the council approved an initial comprehensive plan and funded priorities list. It created a federal grant system to allocate and monitor billions of dollars in restoration projects and approved a comprehensive plan update. Um, Before that, he served as chief of staff to the U.S. Deputy Secretary of Commerce, where he assisted the secretary and deputy secretary in overseeing issues of management, policy, and strategic planning for the department. Um, And he also has experience um, as the assistant counsel to the president, where he took the lead on the Deepwater Horizon litigation for the White House, working with the Department of Justice. Um, he has
1: uh,
2: uh, been active in nonprofit prof- profit sector, um, and he has uh, sum- he graduated summa cum laude from Colby College um, with an MA in philosophy, politics, and economics, um, as well as from the University of Oxford um, and a JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. So. Thank you, Justin. I mean, we're so excited to have you on the show, and I know it's been a busy week for you, so we appreciate it even more.
4: Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I have to correct Simone in one thing. Um, you don't have just two fans. Um, you got a bunch of fans. There are a lot of us out there who... Not a, we can't always catch it uh, live, but many of us uh, make sure to tune in uh, uh, online. So Simone, if you can hear me, you got a lot of fans out there.
2: <laughs> well, we appreciate that so much. And we were talking about that a little bit earlier, and you know you can also listen anytime at DeltaDispatches.org. So we appreciate that, Justin, and, and are so grateful to have you as a guest and a fan. So. Tell us a little bit first, you know, I want to talk about the news that happened this week, but for those that may not be familiar, what is the Water Institute of the Gulf and what are some of your top priorities that you're kind of working to advance?
4: Sure. So the the Water Institute is an applied research uh, uh, institution. We we, we refer to ourselves as a knowledge institute and what separates us from for example a university is we've got uh, a lot of people who who for example come from the university environment who have were tenured professors at various universities uh around Louisiana and and beyond uh but our focus really is on uh applied work so what interests us is what are the most difficult set of challenges uh, confronting the coast uh and what sort of solutions could we propose to address them Uh, One of the things that uh, we're the most proud of at the Institute is the interdisciplinary nature of our work. So we've got coastal ecologists, we've got modelers, we've got folks who are uh, expert on physical uh, processes and sediment systems, as well as a a social science group uh, that we call our Human Dimensions team. So we like to bring all of those disciplines to bear uh, on uh, addressing challenges in Louisiana, but also in geographies around the country and indeed around the world that's that's great and
2: you know we certainly have heard that you know from yourself when you were in your uh, role at the restore council and others but the leadership that louisiana has taken on um you know on, in addressing these issues of you know, water management, coastal restoration. Um, I know you're hosting, I believe, a delegation from the Netherlands currently. Right, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that partnership. I mean, there seems to have been, I mean, at least since Katrina, maybe longer, um, a strong bond between the Netherlands and Louisiana. Um, and now with the Water Institute at the helm of that, um, you know, in terms of dealing with these issues. So tell us a little bit about that partnership.
4: Sure. I think the best way to talk about it is to really go back to our history uh, at the Water Institute. So after Katrina, uh, folks started getting together. Uh, then the chairman of the CPRA, Garrett Graves, uh, former Senator Mary Landrieu, uh, folks from the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, uh, and others uh, got together after Katrina, and they said, we need to figure out who's the who are the best in the world at, 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 at working with water and dealing with water challenges. So they did what any reasonable person would do at that time, is they got on a plane and they flew to Amsterdam. They flew to the Netherlands to see how the Dutch do it. And the Dutch, of course, have been protecting their coastline for 800 years. And they had a flood in the Netherlands in 1953, which nothing is like Katrina, but it was a moment that really galvanized uh, the Dutch to think differently about how to protect their coastline. So in any case, the Louisiana delegation was over there and they saw the the impressive array of things that the Dutch were doing. And in particular, they saw uh, an applied research institute uh, in the Netherlands called Deltaris, And Deltaris really is the... Premier uh, coastal and deltaic uh, research institute in the world. They are the best. They're the gold standard. They are working all over the world, and 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 the Louisiana folks were so impressed by this that when they got back to Louisiana, they said, "You remember that Deltares? Yeah, we need to get us one of them in Louisiana." And that really was the impetus for the for the water institute. Uh, so uh, things have really come, I think, full circle. Uh, we've now been around for about five and a half years, and and when I uh, joined in January. One of the first things I did was I took the pilgrimage to the Netherlands, and I went and I sat down with the CEO of Deltaris. And uh, we, we, we got to talking and, and and rightly noted that we've been collaborating and working together uh, since our inception. And and for the people who work at the Water Institute, they've been working with the Dutch longer than that in, in, in previous jobs. In any case, we said, how do we deepen this relationship? And those discussions uh, over the, the the next few months led to uh, a moment uh, this summer where we signed a new MOU between the Water Institute and Deltaris And it was a great moment. Uh, we were actually, the signing ceremony took place in Delft in the Netherlands, and we had uh, a great group from Louisiana there Commissioner Jay Darden, Chairman Johnny Bradbury, Chip Klein, Sean Wilson, the secretary at DOTD. Uh, we had uh, uh, Don Pearson from uh, LED. And in any case, we had a, we had a wonderful uh, group of folks. And uh, we signed this MOU that did uh, a couple things. Uh, first, it committed us to uh, a deeper collaboration in uh, in a number of different areas, and, and the second thing it committed us to is is potentially um, uh, merger discussions. Uh, Deltaris has a, a group called Deltaris USA, which operates in the in the U.S. And so we are uh, uh, considering how to best unite our two uh, our two organizations uh, because what we've been able to do. The Dutch, of course, are, are are the most sophisticated and furthest out of anyone you'd, you'd find in the world. But given our challenging geography, given that we are working on an entire river delta, uh, they're incredibly interested in this from a scientific perspective. So they have been supporting us and collaborating with us and rooting us on. And it just, uh, we all thought, made all the, uh, it made all the sense in the world for us to uh, form a closer, uh, a closer alliance. That's so fascinating. And, you know, we talk a
2: lot about um, the opportunities that exist in Louisiana to create kind of this water management industry and to, you know, allow students from Louisiana to grow in that industry and in those roles. And now, you know, people can study these issues, study the science and applied
4: science and have a global impact in their work. So this is a prime example of that. It, it really is. And it's just... Um, It's an opportunity to bring the best minds in the world together to address some of the hardest challenges. So it's fascinating from an intellectual perspective, and we need those minds uh, to tackle the challenges that we have here. Wow. Okay. well, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about the new water
2: campus. That's going to be a hub of a lot of this research and activity um, and that you had an exciting ribbon cutting this earlier this week. So um, we're about to go to a break, but we'll be back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM.
5: Making your way out of the CBD this afternoon, the westbound interstate continues to look at slowdown initially from the Superdome out through the Jefferson Parish. Line reports of a westbound accident. They just past West End. It does get heavy again around Causeway and remains tight all the way out to the Williams exit. Inbound traffic through Kenner tight from before Williams up to Veterans. As you head across the river west bank bound. some very heavy delay from the peak of the Carrollton overpass to the opposite side of the river. You've got your east bankbound connection slowdown backed up inside of Terry Parkway. I-610 west is is solid from St. Bernard out to the Merge, while over the lake you've got the Causeway and the twin span moving well to the North Shore, I-10 east to the high-rise heavy from Elysian Fields.
6: Hi, I'm Daniel
0: Millen of Cava Restaurant in Lakeview. Cava Restaurant on Harrison Avenue in Lakeview is the perfect spot for holiday season dining or for holiday cheer at the bar with friends or co-workers. Happy
6: holidays from Cava! I'll see you at Cava in Lakeview.
5: I'm Anthony Robinson, Metro Scan Traffic.
6: At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people
2: prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity.
7: Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org.
8: So you're sitting in traffic on I-10, tired of your long work day, and you're dreading cooking dinner for the family. So where's the place you should think of? Oceana Grill. And get ready to indulge your palate with the flavor it deserves. From blackened bayou duck to our signature barbecue shrimp, we know how to get you asking for more. Whether it's sitting outside or in our courtyard or kicking back in one of our indoor, unique, vibrant dining rooms, Oceana can make you feel right at home with our friendly staff and our naturally New Orleans cuisine. Oceanic Grill 739 Contai in the heart of the fun 8am to 1am daily we know what you're missing in your kitchen Oceanic Grill
2: All right welcome back you're listening to Delta Dispatches this is Jacques Bear with Audubon Louisiana and I'm So honored to have our guest on the show, Justin Aaronworth, President and CEO of the Water Institute of the Gulf. And we're talking about some of the partnerships that they have going on with folks in the Netherlands. Um, And also, we're going to talk a little bit about an exciting opening um, for the Water Institute. But first, Justin, Simone would be really disappointed if I didn't ask a fun question while she's out. So uh, word on the street is that you were part of the Lumberjack team. and Was it in college? It was. It was indeed.
4: I was a member of the Colby College Woodsman team, which... Uh, meant that I got to compete doing uh, axe throwing, uh, fire building, and uh, two different chainsaw events.
2: Wow, that that's impressive. And do you get to keep up your lumberjack uh,
4: skills here in Louisiana? I got an axe. Um, <laughs> I haven't used it much recently. Uh, our backyard is uh, a little small, but um, I have had an opportunity recently. We have a, a, a friend who um, needed some uh, chainsawing done at his camp, and uh, so I got to, you know, play with the chainsawing skills. I don't mean to brag, Jacques, but there was a period, a very short period, where I was the number three former, I'm the number three former axe thrower in the United States and Canada, wow. and, because Simone, if you were here, she would ask this, are there more than three people who compete? Yes, there were. <laughs> there were many more than three, um, and uh, I'm still a little disappointed that I didn't uh, place higher, but that's probably the highlight of my my life to date. Wow. Well, that <laughs> that
2: is a great answer, and, you know, do not uh, get, I will not get on your bad side knowing that. Um <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about um, you know sort of the big announcement. Yeah. So um, I have had the pleasure of seeing the the building as it's been constructed, and and you said that um, you know it, it was uh, finished early, and uh, and you know tell us a little bit about the water campus that's in Baton Rouge. Um, you had the ribbon cu- cutting ceremony. Tell us about that, and then yeah, I mean just an exciting week all around.
4: It really was an exciting week. So the the water campus is uh, is is just remarkable. Um, you, you have to. Complement the vision and uh, wherewithal of the Baton Rouge Area Foundation and and their commercial properties group. Uh, it's a thirty-five acre parcel in uh, Baton Rouge, which uh, is being redeveloped into the Water Campus. And so uh, we are the the third uh, building to go up. The CPRA has been there for some time in a in a, in a very nice new uh, new headquarters building. Uh, and then uh, next to their building is the uh, LSU River Center, uh, the physical model, mm-hmm. which is also just remarkable. And there should be a ribbon cutting for that facility uh, next month. And then you have our building, which is uh, formerly called the uh, Center for Coastal and Deltaic Solutions. And we uh, will occupy the entire second floor of it. And we have our, our lab on the first floor. Uh, and, uh, and then there'll be there's conference space uh, on the on the third. It uh, it's it's on the old 1926 dock, uh, which is very well known in Baton Rouge, and all kinds of things over the years have uh, <laughs> have happened there. And now that uh, we're going to be uh, around, uh, we we plan to use it for uh, for for events and for conferences. And, and, and the grand vision of of all of it is that to have a place where scientists and researchers and engineers and planners and everyone who's involved in the discussion around how to save our coast and how these insights can be applied in other geographies that we we, we hope that and anticipate it will become a gathering place for that. Uh, so uh, we couldn't be more excited. Uh, the Water Institute's office in Baton Rouge officially closed down at 4 o'clock today. The movers are uh, uh, moving boxes as we speak. And uh, Monday morning at uh, 8 a.m., we will... Uh, Walk into our new building and uh, knock on wood. All the computers are going to be working. All the phones <laughs> are going to be working, and we just couldn't be uh, couldn't be more excited. And 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 actually on Tuesday, we were just uh, honored. Uh, the Governor John Bell Edwards and uh, Mayor President of Baton Rouge uh, Mayor President Broom uh, and a number of other officials were there with us to uh, formally cut the ribbon. And man, was it a nice day. It was like 68 degrees, gentle breeze. And just uh, just beautiful. And so after everybody cut the ribbon, uh, we had a second line through the building, and just had a had a wonderful afternoon. So you 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 couldn't imagine. Uh, uh, more excitement among uh, our staff and uh, and our collaborators.
2: Well, how exciting. And I mean, what better uh, place to be to study water issues in Louisiana than facing the Mississippi River? Um, and yeah, for it to be that hub. And I know our partners, Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, are going to occupy some space yes. in there. So hopefully, I'll be able to come check it out. And uh, yeah, that, that is exciting. So I want to talk a little bit about your prior experience. Um, You were the first inaugural head of the Restore Council, and I know in various meetings that um, you know, that we attended and you were presenting at, you talked about the immense opportunity that exists for the Gulf Coast um, as it relates to restoration, um, obviously in the wake of um, a terrible tragedy. But, you know, there is this opportunity to kind of set things on the right course. So tell us a little bit about that and why people across the Gulf Coast should be attuned and, and really caring about um, the, the restoration activities that are happening right now.
4: Well, I think you framed it so well. You know, that was that day we will all remember, April 20th, 2010, and, uh, you know, 11 people lost their lives. And we all watched the oil gush for those those 87 days and uh, a terrible uh, tragedy. But I think you're right that there is a remarkable opportunity that comes from it. Uh, this, over the next 15 years, this will be, uh, depending on what metrics you, you, you use, the largest restoration effort in the history of the planet. And uh, that is a remarkable mm-hmm. opportunity for us. Uh, I think one of the things we we, we all need to be very attuned to is that we avoid the quote-unquote random acts of restoration. What I think would be a travesty is if we did a lot of little things, Mm -hmm. even good things, but small, would be, I think, missing the boat, missing the opportunity, uh, because you just don't have uh, the chance to deal with over $16 billion for restoration very often. Uh, But we've got that. We've got that opportunity. And uh, I can tell you from my previous experience— louisiana is so well positioned because of our master plan uh the other states uh i think would would all say that they uh envy the master plan that uh, louisiana has put together because it allows you as a state to be much more thoughtful and strategic around what is the most important thing to do how do you align funds from the from the other restoration uh components and, uh, and and buckets uh so i think you're you're right we have to be very vigilant and we have to watch this uh, watch this closely, uh, because there are so many other important needs, their economic needs, education needs. This is about restoration. Mm-hmm. And while funds can be used for other purposes, uh, I think it's so exciting in Louisiana that we've we've been so committed mm-hmm. to ensuring that these funds are used. Uh, to restore and protect our coast, right? I mean, that's an issue we've focused on a lot,
2: both with the master plan and discussing funding on this on this show. But you know, if we had all the resources and all the time in the world, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot we could do. But the the reality is. Our state and others are resource constrained. And so we have to be really thoughtful and strategic about where we're putting those, making sure they're going to the largest scale, you know, projects that are going to have an impact over time. So you know that's definitely something that we follow closely um as ngos and and the public should as well because it affects, you know their their lives and their, you know, their um
4: their jobs,
2: you know, their future here. So
4: a- absolutely. and I, I got to pay the 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 your you and your colleagues a real compliment. If you look at the trajectory over the last 10, 15 years around the discussion uh, concerning the diversion issue and, and, and restoring the coast, a big part of it is educating folks. Educating folks around what are we contemplating? Is it indeed based on the best available science? What are the trade offs? How do we think thoughtfully about them? And I think that the advocacy that's been done by you and your colleagues really has help to inform and uh, and and have us have a much more uh, mature conversation. So we're all uh, we're all grateful for the work that you do.
2: Well, thank you so much Justin and and huge congratulations to you and everyone at the Water Institute of the Golf on this exciting week. Um we are, we hope to have you back when the back. Yeah, we want to talk more about the partnerships um, that's going on and other programs. So uh, I know you have to run. Um, We're going to have another guest on to talk about the Christmas bird count right in time for the holidays. But thank you again, Justin Aaronworth, um, for being on Delta Dispatches. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM.
9: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect Coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At
2: Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's
7: in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org.
0: Louisiana Radio Network, I'm Kelly Ray. A grand jury began hearing evidence today in the suspected hazing death of 18-year-old Maxwell Groover. He's the LSU freshman who, based on toxicology reports, drank himself to death in September at the Phi Data Theta House. TIT fraternity members face a charge of hazing, and one of them has also been charged with negligent homicide. Loyola University law professor, Dane Cialino on why the district attorney assembled a grand jury.
1: Simply to to seek cover, to uh, allow the grand jury to make the decision as to whether to charge an individual with a crime rather than having the DA make that decision.
0: The legislative audit investigating former state police superintendent Mike Edmondson has been released. Governor Edwards says it's uncovered some troubling findings and serious problems with past abuses of power but he praises superintendent Kevin Reeves since he has already taken significant steps to resolve public trust and accountability. More online at louisianaradionetwork.com. This is LRN.
1: T'was the holiday season, and all through the land, people were browsing and shopping for the best gifts on hand. The storefronts were crowded with the usual stock, a sweater, some mittens, a decorative clock. When what to our wandering eyes did appear, but the lottery's brand new scratch-offs called holiday cheer, there are one two and five dollar tickets to choose or pick all three to cure those holiday blues
3: holiday cheer is here so
8: spread it far and near with these new instant scratch-offs from the louisiana lottery win up to four thousand fifteen thousand or even one hundred thousand dollars stuff
1: your stockings this season with holiday cheer must be at least 21 to purchase So give holiday cheer, a gift to amaze and delight. Season's greetings to all, and to all a good night.
10: This is Jeff Cruer with my commentary of the day. Former President Barack Obama is jealous. He's not in the spotlight anymore. President Trump gets all the media attention. So what does he do to try to create some headlines? He takes credit for the economy. What a joke. Barack Obama was a disaster for the economy. The debt skyrocketed, poverty skyrocketed, home ownership dipped, we didn't even have one year of 3% economic growth. The only president ever. Things are soaring now with Donald Trump and that just gets on Barack Obama's nerves, which is why he compared President Trump to Hitler. Says it's the same as 1930s Germany. What a despicable comment from a petty man. A more apt comparison would be to say Barack Obama was like a communist dictator. An American version of Fidel Castro or Hugo Chavez. A megalomaniac who divided his people and was toxic for the economy. Thank goodness he is no longer president. He was a disaster then and he's an embarrassment now. More info on this and the other hot topics of the day, check out ringsidepolitics.com.
11: Hello, I'm Gina Schlegel. My husband, Sammy Schlegel, and I want to thank you for dining at Sammy's Food Service in Delhi for over 24 years. We love to cook our fresh homemade family recipes for you and your family.
9: Hey, and I'm Katie Schlegel from Sammy's Food Service in Delhi, and we believe that good food at a good price with generous portions keeps our customers happy. Come join us at 3,000 Elysian Fields between 610 and I10. Check out sammysfood.com for our daily specials. That's s a m m y s food.com. Hope to see you soon.
8: Do you fight for liberty? Do you want prosperity here in Louisiana and our country? Do you want to defeat the fake news media? Listen to Iron Liberty News Radio, hosted by Colonel Rob Manus on WGSO 990 AM, Monday evenings at 7 to 9 PM. You can support us by going to ironlibertynews.com and putting a sponsorship in for Iron Liberty News Radio, Monday evenings, 7 to 9 PM, on WGSO 990
2: AM Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and I just wanted to again thank Justin Aaronworth, President and CEO of the Water Institute of the Gulf, for being a guest on our show. Um, You all should really go out and and, uh, learn more about the Water Institute and the important programs that they have. You can go to their website, thewaterinstitute.org, and you can follow them at Twitter at the H2O Institute. Um, And again, thank you. Um, We're excited um, to have our next guest. We're going to be talking about um, the Christmas Bird Count. So um, this is an effort that the National Audubon Society um, does every year, um, and it allows the community to get involved um you know ha- across the state and and count and monitor birds and a lot of that um the, that data is rolled up and and informs how we make decisions around policy and conservation so hugely important and just a moment we're going to have um katie percy from the national audubon society audubon louisiana on to tell us a little bit more about that. But in terms of other upcoming events, um, this Saturday, our partners, Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, are doing an oyster shell bagging um, in the Barataria Bay Reef Restoration Project. That'll be in Buras, Louisiana. You can go to crcl.org um, to volunteer for that and other um, opportunities. There are going to be um, tree plantings around the coast. And as we mentioned before in, in shows, I, I went out with my rugby team. We did a tree planting. It was the whole day. Um, activity, But it was so much fun and really a great way to connect directly with the coast, um, get out in our marshes and our swamps and help restore, um, you know, areas that that badly need to be restored by planting trees. So um, definitely go to crcl.org um, as well as saveourlake.org uh, to learn more. um So while we're waiting for our guests to join, I'm going to introduce who she is so we can get right to it when she dials in. But Katie Percy is the avian biologist um, for Audubon, Louisiana. Um, She is from and grew up in Baton Rouge and has an extensive knowledge of Louisiana ecosystems, having participated in research on Louisiana barrier islands and longleaf pine savannas and coastal marshes. She moved to Tennessee, where she lived for several years, conducting her master's research at the University of Tennessee, studying the effects of fire management on the abundance and nesting success of gold-winged warblers a species of high concern after staying in Tennessee to train and work with the next generation of students and then spending a summer leading a team monitoring California seabirds for the U S fish and wildlife service. Katie has returned to her roots in Louisiana, where she has worked in the consulting industry, preparing environmental site assessments and biological assessments since February, 2014. We're so excited to have her um, on, Uh, our team and to be, you know, someone who's such a resource um, on issues of conservation and birds. Um, I actually had the pleasure of being out with Katie earlier this week um, at our Paul J. Rainey Wildlife Sanctuary, which is in Vermilion Parish. Um, It's Audubon's oldest and largest wildlife sanctuary in the country um, at 26,000 acres. And I think over 200 bird species use the Paul J. Rainey Wildlife Sanctuary um, at some point, including during migration and Um, for nesting. A lot of times for these bird species, it's the last place that they stop before making a nonstop 500, 600 mile journey across the Gulf of Mexico to places like Colombia and Panama. And it's also the first place that they uh, reach when they return. Um, And so, you know, much like a lot of coastal Louisiana, this land is hugely important to an abundance of bird species um, and of course, you know, to people. And so that's why our organizations are working so hard to restore it um, if you want to get involved um, in some of these bird counts, you can learn more at Um And when Katie joins, we'll be sure to um, talk specifically about um, the Christmas bird count and the opportunities that exist in the coming weeks um, and into January for you to get involved um, with your family. Um, I also want to highlight, so this um, week is the American Geophysical Union Conference in New Orleans. Um, and this is a, a conference that is a global conference that happens around the world. And um, it has brought, you know, anywhere between 25,000 and 30,000 um scientists uh, from around the world who are here in New Orleans for the week, um, talking about important issues of geology and and other um other subjects. Um, Alex Kolker, who we've had on the show before, and Natalie Perrin with um, Environmental Defense Fund, wrote a great um, op-ed that was published today in The Advocate, and they talk about the opportunities that exist to restore the coast, and they really encourage the scientists who are here in New Orleans this week from around the world to, you know, take some time to understand the issues of our coast, to understand the Coastal Master Plan, to see the progress that Louisiana is making, um, and, you know, Bring their minds and their talents to addressing this issue here in Louisiana and issues of water and um, coastal restoration around the world. So definitely go on the Advocate um, or our Facebook page at Restore the Mississippi River Delta and, and check out and read that that op-ed. It's a great piece and from two people that we've had on the show and we're so thankful to have to be um, wonderful advocates and experts on coastal restoration. Um, so having said that, I'm excited to welcome Katie Percy to Delta Dispatches. Hi, hi there, Katie.
11: Hey, how are you doing?
2: Good. Well, I've already introduced you, so we can get right to it. (laughs) Sounds good. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the holidays are here, um, which means the Christmas bird count is underway. Tell us a little bit about Audubon's Christmas bird count and what it hopes to accomplish.
11: Sure. So the Christmas bird count occurs between December 14th all the way to January 5th. There are thousands of count circles that take place across the western hemisphere and what happens within each circle is it is an attempt to count every single bird species seen or heard within that circle and that is a predefined circle that has a diameter of 15 miles um, and each circle has their compiler and that compiler it will then assign leaders to smaller subsections or sub-areas within that circle. Because obviously a 15-mile diameter circle is 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 too large for a single individual to cover in a single day. And so that's another point that I just want to make clear is that every count, each individual count within that circle occurs within a 24-hour period, typically sunrise to sunset.
2: Wow. and And, you know, this is an uh, event or a program that's been going on for quite a while. Is that correct?
11: Correct. It started in the 1900s, so actually 1900 specifically, by a, fr- by a man by the name of um, Frank Chapman. And this was when he proposed to do something other than the tradition of that time, which was to have a side hunt. And a side hunt was to actually go out around Christmas time and kill as many birds as one could manage. So instead of doing that, Dr. Chapman proposed going out and having an all-out count of birds. So just taking in the species um, visually, but not by actually shooting it and totaling your, your killed specimens, but totaling all species, again, seen or heard.
2: Yeah, like a lot more of a positive, you know, uh, hopeful activity, you know, rather than killing the birds, you can just enjoy them and allow them to continue to thrive and prosper. So what can the average person, you know, say that I've never done it before, maybe I've done it once or twice. um, What can I expect in, in participating in the Christmas bird count? What do I have to do?
11: Sure. Um, well, we encourage, as uh, the Audubon Society, that anybody who is interested in participate do. You do not have to be an expert birder. You don't even have to technically have, quote unquote, birded before. But if this event is of appeal to you, what you need to do is get in contact with someone with the Audubon Society and one of the compilers of one of the circles. So you can go to www.audubon.org to find a map of where all of the predefined Christmas bird count circles are taking place. And, if, and on that map, there are also pop-ups per every single circle location that will give you the compiler, their contact information. And at this point, all of the counts for this year's 118th um, Christmas bird count, all of the count dates have been set for all of those circles. Um, unless a weather event or something like that causes a, a circle to have to change its date. Um, so you can find out where all of the counts are taking place, particularly in Louisiana. You can find out the dates, and you can find out the compilers.
2: So, you know, if I wanted to sign up and, and participate, you know, I'd go to the website, I'd find that information, I'd sign up, and then the day of, would I, I'd show up and kind of, you know, someone would tell me what I need to do, and then what would you spend kind of the day or a few hours you know, in various places looking and kind of counting and recording birds that you see? Is that how it works?
11: Yeah, exactly. So typically you'll probably spend more than a few hours, but if somebody, if that's all somebody has to dedicate, then they can join the count for a little while and then leave and the amount of time that they were there is going to be recorded. So you have um, a total of all of the effort hours that take place. But um, typically you can expect to count, most people will probably be counting from sunrise all the way to sunset because it'll take about that amount of time to cover the entire area that people are sort of assigned to. So your compiler, if someone is interested and this is their first year, you can expect to get more of the details for the protocols from the area leaders. And, and that would all happen before your actual assignment and, and the count day for the circle that you're taking part in.
2: That's great. And, um, you know, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about, you know, where in Louisiana these counts are taking place, um, kind of what the Audubon Society does with the data that they're collecting and how have they used it in the past um, and get into some more of the details. So do you mind hanging on for one more segment?
3: Yeah, of
2: course. All right. Well, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Also available anytime online, deltadispatches.org. We'll be right back.
5: I-10 as we take your final look at traffic for this afternoon. You do have the westbound interstate still very heavy from before the Superdome all the way out through the Jefferson Parish line. Delay thereafter tightens before Causeway and remains heavy to the Williams exit. You had an earlier accident since cleared on the I-10 east approaching the Superdome, but uh, still with tight delay there from before Carrollton remains heavy across the main span of the Crescent City Connection while the east bankbound connection with tight delay back around Terry Parkway. Eastbound on the I-10, you've got high-rise delay solid from St. Bernard. The I-16 and slowing back at St. Bernard as well. Come to Casa Tequila Mexican Restaurant in Kenner for incredible traditional Mexican food and daily specials at reasonable prices. At Casa Tequila, we are known for our delicious bean dip, fajitas, chimichangas, combo plates, and frozen margaritas. And our catering will be a big hit at your next home or office event. I'll see you at Casa Tequila Mexican Restaurant at 3229 Williams near the I-10. Follow us on Facebook at Casa Tequila Mexican Restaurant. I'm Anthony Robinson, Metro Scan Traffic.
9: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. NWF.org slash Louisiana.
7: Restore a Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long term and large scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join. Join us in supporting the solution check us out on twitter facebook and online at www.restoreorretreat.org
8: so you're sitting in traffic on i-10 tired of your long work day and you're dreading cooking dinner for the family
2: And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm so glad to have one of my colleagues, Katie Percy, avian biologist with Audubon, Louisiana, on the show, and we're discussing Christmas bird counts. So, Katie, how many Christmas bird counts have you participated in?
11: Well, this year, my first one will be tomorrow for the Lacassine thornwell count.
2: Well, and what about all time?
11: Uh, of all time? Um, I've actually only been doing it for the last few years. So probably just, I mean, under 10 at this point, and I've been moving around. I'm actually going to be traveling to Ecuador, uh, during the count period this year. So I'm sort of interested to see if I can join in and any counts in South America,
2: you're taking, you know, yeah, yeah, you're taking first. it global. That's <laughs> awesome. So yeah. let's talk about it. What kind of birds are you hoping to get in Ecuador?
11: Oh, gosh. I mean, I haven't been to Ecuador before, so the species diversity there is just incredible. Not that it isn't incredible in Louisiana, and we tally some really good species counts. During the Christmas count during the Christmas bird count period um, but without a doubt the the life listers as birders like to say should um, be pretty numerous for myself
2: well I know it's got to be um, you know really an exciting opportunity when all of our uh, bird scientists head south to South America for the holidays I know our <laughs> director of bird conservation is on his way to Columbia right now so you That's birders right. must know where it's at exactly well cool well getting back to the states and the Christmas bird count. So, what, um, where are the counts happening across Louisiana?
11: Sure. Well, really across the entire state. So, north to south, the east to west, we have um, approximately 29 counts taking place in the state last year and this year again. Uh, and in each of those states, each of those circles, as I mentioned, have their own compiler for that area that anyone is can get in touch with if they'd like to join for any of those
2: And that and, and so if I'm you know looking to sign up you know I guess does it depend where I am in terms of what birds I would see or what are some of the birds that you know folks can expect to see when they're when they're out counting?
9: Um,
11: Sure. Well, bird diversity definitely changes according to the habitat that you're in. So if you're going to do any of the counts that are along our coast, you'll see more of the shorebirds. And if you're around wetlands, you'll see the long-legged waders. We have a lot of snow geese and um, greater white-fronted geese that are in our southwest region right now. And we were over there Earlier this week, so we saw hundreds, if not thousands, of snow geese flocking around in the air. Um, so you can expect to see a pretty good diversity. Last year, Louisiana totaled 259 different species, and most of the counts within the state total over 100 species within each of the count areas. Um, so that's that's by and large pretty good for North America. Um again, Louisiana is just a pretty speciose state within North America. So it's a good place to do, partake and participate in these Christmas bird
2: counts. Speciose. I like that adjective. <laughs> I think I'm going to try to apply it to my daily, uh, you know, vocab. So thank you for adding that. Um, but, you know, you're right. Like Louisiana has such an abundance and diversity of, of species. And we did see so many when we were at the Paul J. Rainey Wildlife Sanctuary in Vermilion Parish on Monday and Tuesday. And, you know, I remember being out there and just seeing... You know, so many uh, geese, snow geese, flying in, and you—it almost the line, it didn't end, you know. And and then five minutes later, another you know um, group would fly in, and so it was so cool to see that. I know you do. You're out at Rainy often, and we like to think of it as a living laboratory um, for both restoration as well as bird conservation. Um, tell us a little bit about the work you do out there, specifically on green herons.
11: Oh, certainly. Um, well, we were doing what we were doing was following green heron nesting success and also looking at some of the factors that may have been contributing to increase an increase or a decrease in nesting success. So I worked a lot a few summers ago with Karen Westfall, Audubon Louisiana's coastal scientist. Um, she would drive the boat. We were up and down the canals and bayous all across our rainy sanctuary, and we were monitoring hundreds of green heron nests. So we had been doing that work for a few years. Um, Nest monitoring, if there's time to speak a little more about that, we we would track or mark every single nest that we located. And then we would go in whenever the chicks were large enough. We would remove them briefly just for a few minutes from the nest to take their weight, take some other measurements, check general body condition, put unique bands on them, and then we would set them back in the nest and then continue to monitor that nest until it was successfully fledged.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's such a cool program and, and I know I've seen photos of it and, um, even one of Karen Westfall's tweets that showed a young chick, a green heron chick. And I mean, it looks like a dinosaur. And I think it was retweeted like 500 times, which, you know, I'm not going to say it's because she took my tweet, my, how to tweet, uh, you know, <laughs> um, training, but no, it really is because the, the photo <laughs> and the bird is, is so incredible. Um, how hard is it to find those nests when you're out there in the canals?
11: Um, It it just depended. Some of them would be quite exposed. They might be in like a a dead or a more bare tree or bush. And then some were extremely concealed inside of these acacia bushes, which are thorny. Um, So getting in there was always a little tricky. And Karen kind of had to ran the boat in a little quick sometimes and i was typically on the front of it and just had to like grit and bear and go in and were, for nests. there were
2: never <laughs> any accidents right you never fell in the water Oh, uh, maybe uh, one time
11: <laughs> night has happened on occasion
2: <laughs> but you're hey you survived and i know uh you know eric was Liz there to quickly pull you out yeah exactly And it was all for the greater good right Exactly, well, I have to ask you, you're not the first birder that we've had on, so I apologize for that, but I, this is a really crucial question. Um, and I'm curious to see if your response is going to be any different from our last bird experts. So are you ready?
11: <laughs> I don't know.
2: All right. Well, here goes. What is your favorite bird?
11: Oh, I know. like picking your favorite kid, right? Um, you can't, but you can. So I, I spend a lot of time with prothonotary warblers now, and, and I'm always kind of partial to the species that I'm spending a lot of time with because I'm kind of getting to know them rather intimately. So I, I do actually per, uh, place... Well, I pray I place... The Warbler is pretty high in general, just because they tend to be really colorful, beautiful little birds they do they make these very impressive migrations for their size and then and then most notably they have distinguishable very pretty songs um, and then the prothonotary, which can be seen in our bottomland hardwood forest and these low wet um forest in south louisiana but then all the way up through the southeast um are just very charismatic because they're bright yellow and and again for their size they have a song that can just echo across the swamp so i'm always very impressed by how how loud and how much their 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 song carries um so, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little partial to that
2: species these days. Wow. I am so impressed. And I just have to say that kudos <laughs> to you for having the courage to even express a preference. Yeah. Eric Johnson and David Muth both would not answer that question. They both gave the whatever bird I'm looking at answer. And, you know, so good for you. And, and the prothonotaries are so cool. I actually learned today that they are named after, I believe, Catholic scribes or monks. Um I,
11: yeah, because that is, in the Catholic Church, they wear the yellow cloak. So I believe that is where, I have also read that that's where the name comes from, and that would be the Catholic Protho Notary, would, would maybe be how it's pronounced in the Catholic Church.
2: Very cool and very interesting. Um, well, again, tell us, you know, uh, where can people go um, for to sign up for the Christmas Bird Count this year and make one last pitch um, why they should do it?
11: Sure. Well, you can go to www.audubon.org search for Christmas Bird Count, and that will actually take you to another website that the, the actual link is, is kind of long to spell out right now. But it's an easy Google search also if you want to look for Audubon Christmas Bird Count. That'll bring you to a page that'll give you tons of information, and it can also link you to a map where you can find all of the circles, including all of the ones that are occurring in Louisiana and all of the compilers that you would need to get in touch with.
2: Awesome. Well, be a part of history. Join the 118th Christmas Bird Count. Thank you so much, Katie, for being on the show. You've been listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM.
9: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife.